This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. I grew up with a father who adored flight. In fact, when I was in high school, he achieved his lifelong dream of gaining his pilot's license, which was followed by the purchase of a small airplane. In the rural area of eastern Oregon where I grew up, sometimes that plane was an obligatory passage to the outside world. I loved flying with him. There was something so exhilarating in liftoff as the nose of the plane pointed skyward, and even more so was the feeling of freedom and conquering of the sky. Perhaps this is one of the elements which has helped shape my own character as an adventurer. I am a searcher for places, people, and knowledge. And it may also be why I am drawn to the mystical charm of the much-beloved book Le Petit Prince or The Little Prince, written by Antoine Saint-Exupéry. The story is of a pilot who, stranded after crash landing in the Saharan desert, meets a naive, young, enlightened young prince who has fallen from his own planet. The indelible theme of learning selfless love is reflected in each phrase. Saint-Exupéry biographer Stacy Schiff wrote of the emotional connection between the author and his itinerant prince. The two remain tangled together, twin innocents who fell from the sky. So as it is with our lives, sometimes the adventurers in this world ask to fall from the sky by the very act of searching. My guest today is one of those inspired people who have set out, perhaps not by their own design, but crave the power of discovery by allowing themselves to fall from their own planet, much as the little prince himself. I am speaking of artist and musician, soprano Christine Barras. An American who, after excellent training in the United States with a Bachelor of Arts in Music History and Theory at the University of Chicago, and Master of Music and Voice at the Jacobs School of Music at Indiana University, she took liftoff to England to complete her studies at the Royal Academy of London. And she has lingered in England. She is choosing to stay. She has developed a respected career as a soloist in London's challenging music circles. And she has performed worldwide as an ensemble artist with conductors such as Sir John Elliot Gardner, Marin Alsop, and William Christie. Quite simply, in the style of The Little Prince, Christine Barras has fallen from her planet to another English-speaking arena an arena where the competition is extraordinarily high and doubled when you are an American in residence. But she stays on. The United Kingdom is now her life home. And perhaps the English are learning from her. In one of the most pivotal chapters of The Little Prince, the earthly fox teaches the little prince the memorable phrase, what is essential is invisible to the eye. Truth is in what we feel, and Christine's soul is revealed through her sensitive music-making and the intimacy that she draws upon in her singing. On Wednesday evening, she will be the featured soloist in a theatrical music production entitled The Dream Journey of Le Petit Prince here at the Greenwich Arts Center. I am happy to be the presenter of this rare opportunity to be enticed into the world of Antoine Saint-Exupéry with Christine Barras as the leader of our adventure. Christine Barras, welcome to Center Stage. I am thrilled to have you on my show. It's a huge pleasure to be speaking to you today. Christine, you've torn yourself away from London. How does it feel to be home right now? It feels, um, it feels like 
well, it's always going to feel like coming home, I think, mm-hmm. when I when I come back to D.C., uh, where my mom lives um, and where my brother is still living as well. Um, you know, I feel that at the same time, when I go back to London every time, that also feels like going home. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, um, it's a different kind of home. I certainly feel very relaxed here, and it's nice to have all my mom's around me we have a dog and four cats (laughs) and I feel yeah very comfortable and the home you grew up in were you born in DC I wasn't I was actually born um in Southern California Um, my dad was working as a surgeon there and so I lived there for the first three years of my life and then when we moved to DC uh it was apparently a six-week road trip where we stopped at almost every national park on the way, so (laughs) kind of a pilgrimage to the other side of the country. How to see America the best way, Christine. Absolutely. So were your parents pivotal in your music career? I mean, did you have music at home? Were they musically involved? Certainly. Um, uh, My dad is a big fan of both opera and uh, the symphony and... um, and, yeah, even when I was a very little kid, he used to take me along to see productions at Washington National Opera. Um, we have actually an amazing family story, which is that um, when I was really little and my mom was pregnant with my younger brother, um, they went to see um, a production of The Flying Dutchman at WNO. Mm-hmm. And um, not only was there a character in the opera named Eric, but the great American bass Eric Halverson was singing the role of Daland. And my parents decided to name my brother Eric after Lovely. seeing that show, which I only found out when I had the privilege of working with Eric Halverson last summer. Um, Did you was, tell him about the inspiration? Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it was quite an amazing story. And actually, he's from the same suburb of Chicago that my mom's family is from. So How amazing. It was, yeah, quite incredible. Three degrees of separation, Christine yeah. Bross. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And Eric Halverson is a nice guy. He is super nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He also did his undergrad with my voice teacher from IU. So we had like (laughs) so many things in common. It was crazy. I love it. Who did you study with at IU? I was with Marianne Hart, Mm -hmm. um, a mezzo-soprano. Yeah, she was the head of the voice department there as well and was hugely, hugely influential um, on me at that time. Was Um, Was she a mentor to you, Christine? Definitely, definitely. That was kind of a turning point um, in my musical and vocal journey, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Until that point, I was so, uh, so focused on singing pretty much only um, early repertoire from kind of the Renaissance and Baroque periods. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, one of my choir directors from IU um, took me aside after a rehearsal and just kind of gave me a very, very kind talking to and said, look, Christine, um, you know, I think that you're way too young to be limiting yourself in this way. And um, he suggested that I start studying with Marianne, um, who is just a phenomenal performer and interpreter of art song of all periods. And yeah, she really helped me uh, just realize that I I could do a lot more than, than what I had thought. That's fantastic. These are the stories we like on Center Stage, Christine. Oh, fantastic. You know, the the real stories of of 
how a fire is ignited and and kept burning. And, you know, you are that rarity in singers. You actually have a really good brain, my dear. I mean, I hate to say that, but it's so true (laughs) that you you started out in music history and theory. Yeah, and I actually almost, um, when I applied to IU, I almost applied to PhD programs instead. Um, You know, along, you know, when I look back, there were so many moments that I see where, you know, I took one option instead of another. And yeah, I I was in my, starting my final year of my undergrad and my, I was writing a dissertation on an early 17th century Danish composer um, and was studying kind of religious history and liturg- liturgy and all of these things. And, but singing so much on the side. I mean, I sang in every choir <laughs> that you could sing in at Chicago. Um, and I, yeah, I was talking to my, my thesis advisor about PhD programs, and I, was, I think I mentioned something to him like, oh, I want to make sure that I can continue singing at you know, the highest possible level at all times. And he himself was, um, is both a phenomenal pianist and, um, and a brilliant scholar. Mm-hmm. And he gave me some really great advice, which has stuck with me, which is that... Actually, as hard as it is to be a musician and a performer, academia is just as tough a job market. Mm-hmm. And so, as with all things in life, um, the right decision is is the thing that really makes you happy and that you feel that you could do, you know, every day, whether you're tired or not, whether you know the thing that that drives you and. And yeah, if you're right. listening to these mentors who, you know, you've already mentioned, too, along the way here, yeah. which I love, you know, I'm all about that. I'm all about um, the art of mentoring and the need for that and the need for people nowadays in our world, which is so busy and yeah. so tuned into our phones and never looking up, it seems that we, we have to stop to have the right to do that and and uh, how we can change a person's life just by a moment and just by a remark. Completely. Now, so, all right, so you've done all these things, and then you <laughs> head to England. Yes. <laughs> I have a feeling, I, I know you, and you have this determination, which puts a new spin on the word tenacious. So I have a feeling you probably thought, I'm going to show the world what I've got, and, and I'll, just, I'll just take that, that offer at the, it was the Royal Academy um, yep, of Music? Yep. yep. Tell us, how did that happen? Yeah, um... Well, I, I think since I was a little kid, I felt drawn to the musical life in England. Um, you know, my background uh, as a child, I was a chorister at the National Cathedral here in D.C., singing, up, you know, between kind of three and three to seven services at the cathedral every week, and we rehearsed every morning at seven forty-five. Um, Yikes! And I. You know, singing even songs, singing canticles, the Magnificat, the Nunctimidus, singing psalms to Anglican chants. And that was such a, I mean, to say it was an important part of my life is a real understatement. Um, it, my, my school at the time was very uh, difficult and very demanding. And going to church and doing these services every day was such a breath of fresh air and really gave me the energy to keep going and do well in school. Um, and when I went to Chicago, of course, there are amazing musicians there. And, 
you know, the university has a brilliant music department, but um, I found it was really, I, I only met a few people, and those are still some of my close friends, who I think kind of understood my choral and musical background mm-hmm. as a chorister. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and I, when I was given the opportunity my third year um, of my undergrad to study abroad, I went to London for a year. Um, and I was at King's College London, and I was still doing musicology mainly, but I was just so overwhelmed and happy that, um, you know, I felt that I was with my people when I was yeah, there. Yeah, um, yes, and of course your intellectual side would play into this being in England. And of yeah. course, here you are in the land of choral societies and and some of the best and some of the best recording choruses there are. And I know you've worked with several of them. Mm. Um, I know you're also recognized for your extraordinary music skills. I mean, I swear you you can sight read while you're asleep, Christine. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny. I used to, I I think some singers have a, like, anxiety nightmare about having to sight read music in a concert. I I have had that nightmare, but in mine, it's also pitch dark, so I can't actually see the music. <laughs> so this has really helped you in in your ensemble career, of which completely you, you've yeah. actually made this ensemble career into an art form for yourself. And I know you're in high demand because of your your music skills, your beautiful sound, and and of course this ability to sight read anything. Yeah. And you're a big fan of modern music, aren't you? Uh, contemporary, absolutely. Yeah, um, I I started doing quite a bit of contemporary music when I was at Indiana. Um, I kind of had a foot in the door of several departments, you know, the choral department, the voice department, the early music department, and the composition department as well. Um, I think, you know, uh, it's not unusual for composers to be working, like, right up to the last possible moment on their pieces. Of oh course, they gosh. want them to be as good as possible. Um but, yeah, having the ability to be given a, a brand new piece, you know, the day before, even the day of a concert. Or five minutes and, before, or, and Christine yeah, can sing it. She can before. sing those notes. Yeah, oh, my exactly. gosh. Well, let's, let's take a moment and ha- have a little listen to you doing some contemporary pieces. Okay. I know you've just recorded uh, a song cycle by Kaya Sarayo. Uh, can you set this up for us? Sure. Um, so this is a brilliant work, which um, Sarajo wrote for the um, dramatic soprano Carita Matila, who commissioned it. Um, she wanted a, a new song cycle by a female composer that really uh, explored all of the colors of her, you know, uh, extremely powerful voice mm-hmm. um, and the different characters that she could body, embody, um, you know, as a, you know, a mature woman on stage with real very very strong feelings um so it's a it's a brilliant work in four movements and um the text is by a longtime collaborator collaborator of Sarajos named Amin Malouf um and it explores many many sides of intense longing that we feel mm. for another person for a feeling of uh, kind of adventure for something that's unattainable and yet can even when it's so close to us it still feels unattainable brilliant um, brilliant well we're going to hear a, a moment from douleur and this is christina ross 
Wow. Christine Barras. That is a moment. I love it. Yeah, the music is kind of intoxicating. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I I would agree. I would agree. And here you are stepping out of your ensemble kind of robe, and you're taking center stage really as a soloist now. Um, So that brings me to my next question. Here we are working with all these fabulous people. You've got it made. You you sing with Sir John Elliot Gardner. You you have sung with William Christie. I mean, you're you're like the darling of these ensembles. And now you're stepping out of the ensemble into the solo light. And I want to know how difficult it has been for you as an American working in England and being recognized thus. So I think that it, well, when I first moved to England, my background in, as a choir girl was really my my ticket mm-hmm. in the door. People recognized that part of my past and they trusted that I was going to be good at the, the ensemble singing that, that was being asked, asked of me. Um, I think at the same time, because I had a fairly extensive training as a solo singer from both the States and from London. Um, It was always kind of in the back of my mind that I wanted to be using that more. And also that I wanted to be in charge of my own artistic decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, And as fulfilling as it is to make music at the very, very highest level as an ensemble singer, um, it's there is something missing from that in that you're you're matching the kind of artistic choices of the people around you and kind of fulfilling the um, the desire of the conductor. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I always, you know, when I'm singing as a soloist, it's not only physically more satisfying. I'm engaging with more of my body and and my mind, um, but it. It poses a bigger challenge artistically, and it's one that's, in a, in some ways, more satisfying to fulfill. I don't know if that that makes sense. But, no, um, I think where you are right now, that sounds absolutely perfect. It's kind of like yeah. in the beginning, in the intro, when I talked about the plane lifting off and, and pointing its nose mm. upward. And yeah. I think you're doing the same thing right now. It takes a lot of yeah. courage, especially when you are such a respected ensemble musician. Christine, what does it mean, really, to be a lifer for Americans in England. I, you and you and I have a similar path. I, yeah. I lived in London for 20 years and pursued my career. You're doing the same thing. How long have you been there now? So I, it'll be six years in August. Six. Um, and you plan to stay in England for the rest of your, of your life? I, you know, that's definitely a strong possibility. I am trying stay very open-minded as to where my career will take me, where my partner's career might take both of us. Um, it's, you know, sometimes doors open for artists, for musicians, and it you just have to go with the flow. Um, mm-hmm. So while I, I do feel that I'm pretty well established in London now, um, and there is a kind of level of comfort with that, you know, I know that I can rely on getting getting work for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, as I'm transitioning to being more of a soloist, um, I sometimes wonder whether part of that transition will involve moving somewhere new. And mm-hmm. um, 
it's also, you know, it's, it is scary and requires courage, I think, to, to make a career change from one repertoire to another. But also, yeah, it could be, it could help that transition yes, or it could absolutely. pose new challenges. I don't know, or both. Now, um, you, you just mentioned both of us. And I have to ask, is there someone else in the picture? Is there, some, is there someone in your personal life that keeps you in London? There is. I wouldn't say he's keeping me in London. Um, <laughs> I think uh, we're very fortunate that, um, you know, we're both uh, singers. My partner, Michael, is a brilliant bass baritone. Um, and we're very fortunate that for both of us, our work is in London at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of take it day by day, month by month, where where does it look like is going to provide us with the best life, mm-hmm. the best opportunities, and kind of the most fulfilling existence together. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that I think fair. that, yeah, both he and I are trying to stay open-minded about what what the future will bring us. That's brilliant. So tell me, what are the advantages to living in London? Now, this is besides Harrods and Marks and Spencer's food halls. <laughs> yes. What What are some of the other advantages to you? I mean, you know, that may be, whatever you say, may be a new idea to our listeners. Mm. Well, I think it would be, I think the main thing would be being on the doorstep of Europe, really being a part of Europe for mm-hmm. the time being, uh, and the ease with which we can travel anywhere in, in Europe so so quickly and so easily. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I think friends of mine who are freelance singers in the States, you know, they tour, they perform in concert halls all over, all over the country, which is a brilliant career to have. Um, but... You know, a tour for me, if I'm on tour with, say, the Monteverdi Choir, one of these other ensembles, we might be in Paris one day and in, you know, um, Aix-en-Provence the next day Mm -hmm. and in Berlin the day after that. And it's just, you get to see so many different cultures. That's right. So many different... So many tastes. Exactly. So many exactly. different tastes within just a few minutes, and, and exactly. you do become spoiled, don't you? Yeah, and, it's a huge privilege. And speaking of taste, I hear that you are a fantastic cook. <laughs> it's probably my main, my main thing outside of music really? is definitely cooking. I, uh, I've been a pretty serious cook since I was a teenager, um, and... Yeah, I used to bake in the middle of the night. I would bake cakes and pies and things after doing my homework at like what in the middle of midnight. the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then because I otherwise I would I would be kind of too worked up about school. I was a very <laughs> diligent student. I'd be so worked up about my homework that I wouldn't be able to get to sleep. So I'd bake a cake <laughs> instead. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, it's definitely stuck with me. Um, yeah, I mean, Michael also is a brilliant cook, and so we love cooking together at home. Um, we love baking. I used to bring cakes and things to my choir rehearsals all the time. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, yeah. We, de- we definitely want to sing with you, Christine Barras. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, my good Lord. Um, okay. <laughs> 
Well, we're just excited that we're going to have you here in Greenwich. And and to get the, the benefit of what you have to offer, um, you're, you're going to be performing in the Dream Journey of the Little Prince at the Greenwich yes. Arts Center this Wednesday at 7 p.m. And there's no charge for that. And I'm, I'm going to put it out there that everyone should come, not only just to hear Christine sing, but you're actually going to hear readings from the book and some commentaries about the book uh, from from three actors, uh, of which I am one, which I'm excited. Yeah, and great. But I think just the, the whole idea of the little prince is something that brings us all down, ironically, to, to the ground, you know, the, the beautiful uh, philosophy and then the mysticism that was related in this book. And you're going to actually kind of walk us through gracing it with music that actually complements all the readings. You're perfect for the evening. And you have the wonder of a child, and, and we can hear that in what you're saying to us, but um, your soul is something else when you start to perform. I can't wait for this. Yeah, me too. Um, so, and please, are you going to, after you know performance, are you going to come home and bake for me, please? Well, it so happens I'm baking a cake for you right now. I cannot wait. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, Christine Bross, I I know as time goes on, we're going to hear more from you. But in the meantime, people, the dream journey of Le Petit Prince at the Greenwich Arts Center, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Christine Barras, thank you so much for being on center stage. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. It's been a huge treat. (laughs) Thank you. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on center stage. Oh, 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 oh,